Hello and welcome to Habimus Papam, episode 225, Sixtus Dear brothers the and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope is actually a fascinating one, and he has a fascinating background. We haven't had someone come from a rather poor background and become Pope in a long time. And so today's Pope was born Felice Pier Gentile, although that last name is not necessarily what he went by because his family was so poor they didn't really have an aristocratic last name. Anyway, Felice was born on December 13th, 1521 in the Marche region of Italy. His parents had fled their hometown of Montalto due to war and settled on the coast of Grotamare. His father apparently had gotten on the wrong side of the leading family in Montalto, and all his property was confiscated. So Felice's father, whose nickname, by the way, was the Little Pear, Peretto, Felice's father had to start again from nothing as a tenant farmer, and his mother had to work as a servant in their landlord's house. When Felice was nine, his family moved back to Montalto, where his education was supervised by an uncle who was a Franciscan friar. He entered the Franciscans at the age of 12, and he was sent by the Franciscans for further study in a couple different states, but eventually he ended up in Bologna. The young Franciscan began to acquire a reputation as a preacher. He was dynamic and faithful, and as his reputation grew, he was sought after. He was ordained a priest in 1547, and the preaching circuit really picked up. In 1552, Cardinal Rodolfo Pio, one of Paul III's reforming cardinals, invited him to preach for Lent in Rome. There, he also attracted the attention of some other cardinals, both good and bad. And even the bad, though, turned out pretty well, because apparently the bad was he was accused by someone of heresy to the Inquisition. And he was examined there by Father Michael Glissieri, the Dominican who would become the future Pope St. Pius V. And he passed his trial with the Inquisition exceedingly well, with flying colors. So well, in fact, that Father, then Father, Glissieri, became a fast friend and an advocate. While he was there in Rome, he also made friends with St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Philip Neri. And he was moving in the right circles. In 1556, he was sent to Venice to head the Franciscan school there. And eventually he became an assistant to the Venetian Inquisition. Under Pope Paul IV, the Index of Forbidden Books was first published. And then Cardinal Glissieri sent him the list even before it was printed. He had to get the Venetian book printers to refuse to um, print the books that were on the list and to try and print this list of forbidden books. And they, of course, were not too happy about that. They made money on these forbidden books and they didn't want to just arbitrarily get rid of them. And so they pushed back. Now, Pope Paul IV had his back in the resulting fight, but once he died in 1559, Father Felice no longer had Roman support, and he was removed from his position and returned to Rome. In Rome, he served as a consultant to the Inquisition. He taught at the Roman universities, and in 1561, he was named the Procurator General of the Franciscan Order. From that position, he participated in some of the sessions of the Council of Trent. As a theological consultant, he was sent with Cardinal Ugo Boncompagni, who, if you remember, was talked about last episode, to help settle an Inquisition trial in Spain. And we talked about that a lot last episode because Cardinal Buoncompagni would eventually become Pope Gregory XIII. Now, apparently, Father Felice did not get along very well with Cardinal Buoncompagni. They disagreed about what was to be done in Spain and their personality clashes. For now, it doesn't matter that much because Father Felice's friend, Cardinal Glissieri, was elected Pope Pius V in 1566. 
And if your friend is the Pope, that's pretty good for you. And so Father Felice was appointed the head of the Franciscan order and the personal confessor to the Pope. He was then ordained a bishop in 1567 and a cardinal in 1570. Now, he had a couple of surnames, as I mentioned, during this time, based on his father, based on where he was born. And I've just been calling him Father Felice, his first name. But as cardinal, he went by Cardinal Montalto, which is his hometown. And so I'll continue calling him that. But then his fortune changed again because his former colleague, who he didn't get along very well with, Cardinal Boncompagni, was elected Pope Gregory XIII. And when someone you don't get along well with is elected Pope, then that's usually not a good sign for you. And so Cardinal Montalto was sidelined. He kept a low profile. He studied in particular, and he was working on editing the works of St. Ambrose for publication. And he began constructing a large villa, which occupies the land which is now the Roman train station Termini. But when Gregory XIII died in 1585, Cardinal Montalto was well-positioned to succeed him. He got along well with everyone. He was a holy guy. He worked hard. He was intelligent. And he was fairly pro-Spanish, which means a lot at this time in history. Plus, if you remember from last time, the situation in Rome and around Rome was bad. The nobles had been fighting with each other and with Pope Gregory, and the bandits had gotten out of control in the countryside, and papal coffers were running low. And so the fact that Cardinal Montalto wasn't close with his predecessor, Pope Gregory XIII, was a good thing in the eyes of a lot of the cardinals. So he was elected pope on April 24th, 1585, and he took the name Sixtus V because the last Franciscan pope was Pope Sixtus IV. And just to note, he's going to be our last Sixtus, at least for now, because there's never been a Pope Sixtus VI, which is a little unfortunate, if you ask me. His first task was cleaning up the mess left over by Pope Gregory XIII, and he did so with a rather brutal efficiency. Sixtus was a reformer, but he was one of those reformers who, like Paul IV, was probably probably is, is not strong enough. He, he was a little too strict. He imposed capital punishment for all the banditti in the countryside, and he stuck their heads on the bridges in Rome. Now, apparently that year there were more bandits' heads on the San Angelo Bridge than there were melons in the market. He also wanted to increase the number of crimes that were deserved capital punishment, including adultery, and that was a little bit too far in a lot of ways. He likewise enforced papal revenue collection. He made up for Gregory's deficit and then eventually built up a a pretty sizable surplus. And he used that money to help make significant improvements in Rome, including the draining of some of the marshes around the Tiber, the completion by Michelangelo of the dome of the new St. Peter's Basilica, and the reconstruction of some of the major buildings in the Vatican and across Rome. His administrative skill continued what Gregory had started. He created the modern papal bureaucracy as we know it. It was much more efficient, believe it or not, than what had gone before. And though... However, it wasn't perfect. He, um, he did sell Vatican jobs to those who could pay in order to try and raise money. And if necessary, sometimes that meant he would fire a full division and then make them buy their jobs back or you know, have other people buy them, which is not great, like I said. But the way it worked was fairly efficient. He was the one who instituted the practice of the ad limina visits to Rome of the bishops of all the world. You might have heard of this before, but every five years or so, every bishop has to make a pilgrimage to Rome to go visit the, the ad limina, to the, the tombs of the apostles, and to make a report to the Holy Father. And so he started that. He also set a limit for the number of cardinals at 70, though no one really paid attention to this in the future, but it, it was based on the 70 collaborators of Moses and the 70 disciples sent out by our Lord. But like I said, it wasn't a very effective uh, limit. Popes just ignored it for the most part. And another project which didn't actually work out well, too, was his new translation of the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible, 
which was published, but it had so many errors that they had to remove it from publication and go back to the old Vulgate. Now, one reform that was great is Pope Sixtus liberalized the harsh restrictions that had been placed on the Jews in Rome by his predecessors. He allowed them to publish the Talmud, to hold jobs that had been, they'd been restricted from, to live wherever they wanted to, to intermingle with Christians. For example, a Jewish doctor could have Christian patients, which was not allowed before. And he encouraged Jewish business formation. And consequently, the amount of Jews who moved to Rome and grew pretty exponentially during his time. And he saw this as good for the city, you know, build up the tax base and have uh, good people living here in Rome, even if their religion was different from that of uh, the standard confession of the state. Now back, though, to politics. Toward the end of Pope Sixtus's pontificate, the Catholic heir to the French king, Henry III, died. His new heir then, by law, was the Protestant Henry of Navarre, who would become, if he was king, Henry IV. Now, his ability to be king of France was strongly contested, both by the king of Spain and by a group of Catholics in France called the Catholic League, which was also, helpfully, led by a guy named Henry, Henry the Duke of Guise. So Henry III, the current king, backed Henry of Navarre, his Protestant successor. Even though he was of a different religion, he still saw him as the best option. War ensued, it's called the War of the Three Henrys, to determine the succession. Now, Pope Sixtus initially tried to insert himself as a moderator, but in part due to Spanish pressure, he eventually backed the Catholic League. A bunch of Catholic nobles weren't happy with this. They saw it as an illegitimate intrusion into French internal politics. And then in 1589, Henry III, the King of France, was assassinated by a monk of all people, and then Pope Sixtus V excommunicated Henry of Navarre, and declared that he could not be the legitimate king of France. The Catholic League then said that Cardinal Bourbon, a French noble and a cardinal, was the legitimate king of France, but he was held captive by the other side, and that didn't work out, and so then the Duke of Guise said that he was going to be king, and this total stalemate ensued. And it's not going to be resolved for a couple of episodes from now, but if you remember, there's still a lot of tension between the Protestants in France and the Catholics, and we saw that from last episode as well. Sixtus was one of those zealous reformers who was just too harsh in his tactics and who caused a backlash because of that against him. Like Pope Paul IV before him, when he died on August 27, 1590, the crowds in Rome rioted and teared down statues of the Pope. With his death, a new tradition, however, began, which is important to note, at least as a curiosity. The Pope died at the Quirinale Palace, which is currently the resident of the um, president of Italy, but back then it was the residence of the Pope. And the parish church that the Quirinale Palace belongs to, that's in that parish boundaries, is that of Santi Vincenzo e Anastasio. And when the Pope's body was being embalmed, his heart was removed and was placed in a vault in his parish church, while the rest of his body was buried in Santa Maria Maggiore. And this tradition is going to continue that the Pope's heart would remain in his parish church while his body is buried someplace else. It would continue for, for a couple hundred years until the end of the 19th century. Pope Sixtus V was succeeded by Pope Urban VII, and we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Abe Mus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you. <laughs>